we have an awesome opportunity that has come to us, and I want to share it with you, okay? Rock Springs just recently received a sizable uh, monetary donation, a big check, in other words, if, if you all don't understand what I'm saying. Received a sizable donation for the intent of spurring us on, obviously, to greater faith, because we want to honor God with what we have to give, but with our love and good deeds. Because the folks who gave this love Rock Springs, and they said, you know what, we need to tidy some things up. Exterior, interior, want to bless those who bless us. Here's the, the best part, and you don't have to watch them, they'll give you the card, it's not, okay, watch me. Because this is the best part. This is the best part is this donation will match every dollar given by you and me up to $20,000. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that. Now, here's the rest of the story. There is a target to get these, you know, what are we trying to accomplish in doing this so uh, quickly? Uh, and because I want to tell you about the target and I want to tell you about the time frame. I'm inviting you, because I'm going to give, and I want, like, if I give a dollar, it's going to turn into two. If I give five, it's going to turn into ten. Everybody with me on that? I think that's beautiful. But with our combined gifts, our target, our plan is to finish the stucco and the finish work on the exterior of the north building. And if you've not been to the Cortez campus... We did uh, new windows, and we need to finish that up and button the whole thing up. Yeah, it's going to help us preserve this building that we were given. So we need to finish the exterior of our north building, but we also need to punch up the interior of our south building. Because I don't... I, if you walk down to the other end of the building, and I'll help you do that when the safety team's not telling us we can't do that, I'll show you the condition of the carpet and some other things. I'm not going to say anything ugly. Yeah. We need to punch up the interior of the South Building so that we can bless, because we have lots of different events in this building all the time, but we especially want to bless our kids. We want to bless Rock Springs kids. The, the South Building, the, the area where the kids are right now, also, it leaks when we get moisture. And I know we live in the desert, but sometimes we get moisture, and we're probably going to get some snow. We want to help hang on to that roof and maybe tighten it down, get it to where it won't leak as much, perhaps, during this next winter. And we're going to take the least expensive uh, stopgap method we can. But we also, finally, want to assist our ministry partners. And we don't have time to go into all of them, but Heart to Heart, uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Good Sam to help those who are, uh, you know, they, they need food and, and we, we support the Good Sam. We also, uh, each month and then at the end of each year, we try to help uh, Mount Horeb Orphanage as well. And then, of course, OCC is a partner with us. We want to help them like we've been helped. Because if, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. So imagine, imagine us being able to double our year-end gift to each of our partners. That would be really cool, too. So finish up the exterior of the north, punch up the south, button down the roof down there, and help our friends. That's where we're going. Y'all with me so far? Okay. The time frame, though, is short. Because, as we know, sadly, summer is over. <laughs> and winter is coming. Okay. So, we need to get the stucco done before it gets too cold. I know it can be worked around, but we want to do that as quickly as we can. Like I said, buttoning down the roof, 
going to try the least expensive stopgap repair we can, and we'll need volunteers for that, but we're going we're gonna to tighten that down. That needs to happen before the snow starts stacking up, okay? And like I said, if you haven't taken a tour of the south building, I can arrange that, but we need to freshen the paint. We need to replace some floor covering, other stuff, and I'm just of the opinion that can't come too soon. And like I said, we want to assist our partners, and we want to be able to do that during the final quarter of 2023. That's why I say we really need to make this happen no later than November the 15th. So if the clock starts now, we got about six weeks. Okay? Now, what my challenge to you is, and you know I don't do this very often, but I think this is an extraordinary opportunity, and I want to make you aware of it. Starting today, I invite you to join me in giving, if God leads you to give, give over and above your usual percentage giving. That's what I'm going to do. Don't take your tithe and your offering and divert it this direction. This is not the time to do that. Plus, we want to continue to give that because that's what keeps the lights on all the time. Let's go over and above our regular percentage giving. And if you wonder what that is, go to uh, check out the generosity series that I gave just a few weeks ago. It helps you understand that. Also, listen to me, church. Don't you give to this if you feel like I'm guilting you into this extraordinary opportunity. I don't guilt people into giving. That's not the way I work. Plus, Scripture says if you feel guilted by it, don't give. Okay? Don't feel like you have to give it as an obligation. None of that is where I'm coming from. What I'm asking you to do is the same thing I'm doing, and that is Leanne and I are asking God to give us wisdom about how much we can or should give to this extraordinary opportunity And I think you can ask God, should I give? And then you can also ask him, show me the amount that you want me to give. Now, whenever you give, you can give with the Church Center app. It's safe, it's secure, it's so simple. You can put it in and you can actually say, I want this to go to... This is where it gets funny because if you get a sense of what's about to happen right here, on your your card, you see the card? Yep. The logo says, strong finish. If you turn the card over and I wrote that... I said finish strong. So it's not that I'm dyslexic. It's just I'm 62 years old and I can't think straight most of the time. Okay? So you can call it finish strong, strong finish, whatever the case may be. Let's call it what we will and let's try and take advantage of this. Because I think it's so cool that if you are able to give $5, if that's what God says, it turns into 10. If you say, no, I can give 1,000, well, it turns into 2,000. That's amazing. And on and on it goes. Now, listen to, this, listen to this very carefully, and then we'll actually get into what we came here for today. With that donation, the $20,000 that's sitting there waiting to match whatever you and I give, that's waiting on you and me and our giving. Okay? So watch this, because this is, this is where the math. Yours and my giving, not the 20000 Yours and my giving needs to reach $15,000 before we can begin these projects. Okay? Because what it amounts to is we need to be able to have $30,000 to stucco, punch up the building, and tack down the roof. But I think if they were able to give $20,000 as a matching gift, I think we can go beyond raising our side of the equation beyond 15. I think we can go to 20. What do you think? Yep. Okay. Let's see what we can do with this. Step out in faith, 
Only do it if God tells you to finish strong, or if you like it better, we're going to have a strong finish. You call it what you want, but I'm inviting you to participate in this. You can use a check, put finish strong, strong finish in the memo. You can use cash, put it in an envelope, say the same things. I'm excited to be a part of this. I'm thrilled that this opportunity has come our way, and I hope that you will feel excited about it too. You get it? Good. All right. Now, we've been in this series of how do we deal with people who drive us crazy. Don't look at anyone right at the moment. But I'm saying, you drive me crazy is what we've been talking about, and I hope you'll go back and check all those things out. But what I'm about to do with this particular lesson, with this particular talk, is I'm about to save you a lot of time and a whole lot of money in counseling. Okay? Because what we're talking about in these next few minutes is one of the most important skills that you have probably never learned. In my years of trying to minister to people to draw them to Jesus and get their life in a growing uh, relationship with Jesus Christ, this is really the same... Uh, th this is where I, I have to camp out more often than not. How do you deal with the conflict between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, children and parents, between siblings, between a boss and employees? On and on and on it goes. Because human beings are not created to be exactly alike in every situation. So sometimes we don't know how to navigate our differences and it winds up in conflict. I think if you know what God has to say about resolving conflict, you are going to be happier, you're going to have a more successful set of relationships, and you'll also be able to bless a lot of people. So I hope that you're interested in, in this because chances are, even now someone is pushing your buttons, they are driving you crazy. So how do you resolve this conflict? This is going to apply in everything personal, regional, regional national, global. It has to do with our economics, our political stance, uh, talking about uh, sexual differences, ideological differences. It just has so much to do with our lives. This is one of the keys to you and I having a happy life because if you have unresolved conflict in your life that you carry around, I guarantee you, you are draining the happiness out of your life. Even those of you who have a whole lot of money and you got a whole lot of looks and you got a whole lot of success and talent, I don't care. You can be scoring really high on any of those other things, but if you're not dealing with conflict in a way that honors God and blesses people, your happiness is draining out. I want to show you seven different uh, steps because it is steps. It's things that we build on. I hope that you'll listen, uh, write this down as you listen. Uh, take it, share it with other people. I think if you practice these, your stress is going to go down and your joy is going to go up. So please take notes. Here's what God says in Romans 12. He said it through the Apostle Paul. He said, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That should, that's it. There's the message. Some of you can now go to sleep. Okay. That means if someone ticks you off, don't figure out how to tick them off more. If they said something ugly or something you disagreed with on Facebook, do not hit the caps lock and say something even worse. Do not pay back evil for evil. He says instead of doing that as much as possible, which I love that, you might want to circle that phrase, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. You do not have control over other people's responses. You do not have control over their mouth. You don't have any control over them. But you do have control over your response to whatever they say or do towards you. 
But if they deal out evil to you, do not get in the habit of turning around and dealing more evil back to them. As much as it is possible, learn, grow, become uh, uh, just better at, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that God underscores that some people are just unpleasable. Because some, somehow it gets caught, I don't know if it's necessarily taught, but it gets caught in church circles. Once you come into a church and you sing all the songs and you know when to hold your hands up or when, you know, whatever. You, you go through all that, it's like, well, now I'm just like, everybody's supposed to be nice. <laughs> Stop that. We live in a real world and people get on our nerves. Even God says that some people are unpleasable. And I've told you in, in the uh, previous messages about, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, overcome being a people pleaser. <clears throat> Stop trying to please them and live an honorable life to God. Because you can't control them, but you can control you. And if you don't do this, I'll tell you, because I've lived both sides of this, it'll cause some serious damage. Don't have time to look at all the damage up close, but let me write, uh, I want you to write this down. The damage of unresolved conflict is, is a num- number one, it blocks my fellowship with God. If I don't resolve conflict in my life with the people that I am in relationship with through my work, through my uh, school, through my home, or with my church ministry partners, if I'm not dealing with that in a, in a, in a good way, that's going to block my fellowship with God. You, you say, well, how does that work? <clears throat> well, you can't have close fellowship with God if you're out of fellowship with other people. Jesus got on that a lot. He's like, a lot of you people who seem so religious, you feel like you've got this this vertical relationship all sorted out, but man, you're treating other people like dirt. And he said, it doesn't work that way. He said, you need to have a good relationship with God, but one of the ways that determines the quality of your relationship to God is how are you loving and treating other people. Um, One of Jesus' closest disciples, John, in one of his letters over in the, the back part of the Bible, he said, how can I say I love God and yet hate my brother? He said, that can't, that can't be. Okay, so there's damage. I don't want my fellowship blocked, but it will block my fellowship. It doesn't uh, cut me off from God, but I'm not fellowshipping with Him. I'm not in good relationship with Him. Here's another damage it does. is It, pre- it prevents answered prayer. And if one of our disciplines as a Christ follower is to pray, and to pray believing that God will heal, or that God will provide, or that God will show us His wisdom, if you're praying... For all of that kind of blessing, and yet you are ignoring the fact that you are in disagreement and you haven't resolved that disagreement uh, and that conflict with others, it's going to prevent answered prayer. Specifically, Peter, certainly one of the closest that was uh, guy closest to Jesus, he wrote in his letter in 1 Peter 3 7, he said, Husbands, it is your responsibility to pray for your wife, but if you don't treat your wife right, and you say, wait, hold on, Peter, what does that mean? Well, he went on to say, if you're not showing her respect, if you are not being sympathetic to her needs, if you are not uh, seeking and allowing the wisdom that God provides through her, if you're not doing that, you can just forget about your other prayer list. He's like, you pray for God to be honorable to you, but you're being dishonorable to your wife. That doesn't fly. And then the third uh, damage it does is, like I said, it hinders your happiness. It hinders my happiness. Conflict in our lives, guarantee it, you can measure it yourself. Because probably right now you're thinking of someone that maybe this could apply to. Because chances are, if you're a human being, 
you're probably in conflict with somebody right now, okay? But if conflict comes in your front door, happiness is going to go out the back door. They just don't seem to reside in the same heart at the same time. I think we have a need. Uh, even as far back as the writing of Job, one of the oldest documents and, and, and manuscripts um, in Scripture, Job, it is said in uh, Job 18.4, it says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. So I think this is pertinent. But I want to show you, and I've tried to practice this for many years, and I will also tell you, I taught this several years ago when I was a much younger man, and I thought I'd been through some conflict. And I had been, but I applied it and it worked. But I'm just telling you, since I was that young man to where I'm now a very uh, well-seasoned man, um, I've had even more conflict. And I've tried to go back to, I mean, each step along the way, I've tried to apply this, and I'm here to tell you, I'm here to testify. It works, it helps. You won't change anybody else, not, not, not up to you. Not up to you to change anybody, but as far as it depends on you, what I'm about to tell you is God's word, it is true, and it actually works. Now, some of you are already looking at the clocks like, good Lord, he's just now getting to where we write stuff down. There's seven steps. The first one takes way longer than all the rest. So when I get done with number this one, and then I move on to the second one, you're going to go, we're going to be here till three. No, um, no, going to try and get you out of here in a timely manner. But um, please, please take notes. This could help you so much. Um, in fact, I meant to tell you this at the start. Those of you who are a part of the uh, Serving Summit and have been, and you're registering for the one that's coming up on the 14th, I've told you this series really sets us up for what we're talking about. And that is, how do we deal with conflict with the people that we minister alongside? So take these notes, and we'll use them again on the 14th. Okay, number one, you need to take the initiative. You can put it in you, you know, you'll say, I take the initiative. Make it first person. But I am saying to you as a teacher, you need to take the initiative. The first step in solving or resolving any conflict is you start. You go first. No, 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 you go first. Now, I'm serious. Don't wait for people who have made you mad. Don't wait for the people that you are in conflict with to suddenly come to their senses and they come to you with hat in hand and they have this grand... It doesn't work that way. You be the peacemaker. We've dealt with this in another series, and, 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 uh, and we've talked about it in other uh, messages. You be the peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. We're all peace lovers. That's what we want. But you have to go and make the peace. Now, this also has to do with we're living in the real world. You have to get real about the conflict, not just how you feel about it, but you have to get real about the conflict and stop avoiding it. Because you and I, I'm just telling you, people say, well, I don't like conflict. I'd rather avoid it. Well, good. You're a normal, healthy human being. In fact, if you want to see the people who are truly the crazy makers in life, they're people like, oh, man, I love conflict. Bring it on, man. It's like, you're unhealthy. Yeah, see, I say things that are not supposed to be funny and people laugh at them. I'm serious. If you cherish conflict and you, you try to live in a state of, of, of being upset with people and seeing them upset with you, you are not healthy. Your spirit needs a revival. 
If you say, I don't want conflict, I get that, but you can't walk around as a Christ follower without uh, jumping in. You've got to, you can't, you can't live life avoiding the conflict. Because it's like, well, if I ignore it, it'll go away. How's that working for you? You say, well, it's not that big a deal. Well, it must be because you're still thinking about it. You have the courage that the Holy Spirit of God gives you to step up and say, let's find some peace. See, I've also heard people this. Uh, well, let me get to that in a minute. I'm, I'm not saying with the people that you're in conflict with, go and pick a fight. In the mighty name of Jesus, I came. Come on, let's have a fight. Uh, but I am saying you do not have to live in misery. Conflict is unavoidable. Misery is optional. Don't let problems run your life. Let the Holy Spirit of God run your life. I'm just telling you that conflict that you that simmers inside of you, it is not usually going to be resolved accidentally. You go, well, what time heals all things? Hmm. There's a French word for that, I think. Baloney. <laughs> if time heals all things, we could just go and sit in the doctor's waiting room for about two hours and we'll be better. We don't need to see him, we just need to wait. No, if you get a gash and you get all kinds of crud inside of it, you can stare and go, time's going to heal that. No, it won't. You've got to clean it. Sometimes you've got to put some stitches in it. And you've got to make sure that it heals right. Otherwise, you start getting infected. And then you get gangrene. And then you lose an arm. Time doesn't heal all things. Grace plus truth plus time heals all things. We talked about grace and truth. Just go back and pick that up. If you leave things alone, a lot of times they just get worse. Like I said, these kinds of things, anger, if you don't deal with it, it turns into resentment, which turns into bitterness, and it will literally cause you uh, health problems, and it will harden your heart. It has to be intentionally dealt with. You could write this down because there is so much to learn in this, y'all. The only way to resolve a conflict is to face it. The only way to resolve a conflict is to face it. And when you face it, you're going to deal with some things. Let me hit those right quick. I just want you to get as much out of this as possible. When you decide that that conflict that you have with that individual is going to be faced, you're going to have to wrestle with your fear. You're going to have to wrestle with the timing of the peace conference that needs to happen. And you're going to be wrestling with what do I do during that peace conference. I'm here to help you, okay? The first thing you have to deal with, as I said, is your fear of the conflict. You say, I don't like it. Good. I know you don't like it. You say, well, I'm scared. Congratulations. You're normal, but you still have to face it. But the fear of conflict is a human condition. Even back over in the first document in the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were living in a perfect situation in what we refer to as the Garden of Eden. And they were able to have an inter, uh, a, a, a fellowship with God. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring us back to, is that relationship that they once had. But once sin entered the situation, it made them afraid. And Genesis 3.10 says, Adam said to God, because God says, Adam, where are you? Which is a funny question. 
God is everywhere and knows everything and is all-powerful. He did not have like, well, I must have lost them somewhere. He was asking Adam to speak up about the situation. He's like, Adam, where are you? And Adam responds and says, I heard you in the garden, kind of like you'd always been, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, up to that point, that was not a problem. But the fear of being exposed after sin enters the situation and, and it reveals you know, that, that we want to be God, that we want what we want, we want to do and have and be what we want to do, have and be, regardless of God. He heard God and he said, it made me afraid now because I was naked and I, I was afraid and I hid. Guys and girls have been hiding ever since because we're afraid. Whenever you start saying, I want to resolve this conflict, the conflict is inevitably going to expose you and the fact that you're not perfect in some way. And whenever you and I feel vulnerable, when you and I have uh, that exposure to who we really are, we get defensive. We're very afraid to reveal our true selves to someone else because they may turn around and use it on us. We, we get distant. Because it's like, this is why a lot of times whenever I know some people are not doing well in their spiritual life is they stop attending church, they stop attending being part of their small group, they stop serving because it's like, things are not going well, i got this conflict and I have to distance myself from the situation. And then, if that doesn't work, then we become demanding. We become demanding. I'm going to control you, I'm going to control the situation, control the narrative, and I will have the last word. I'm saying fear is not your friend. Fear keeps us from connecting at a deep level like God wants us to do because we fear that we're going to be rejected or misunderstood or it's going to be used against us. Uh, someone said this much wiser than I am. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Really? The answer to that is, is because I'm all I've got. And if I show you who I really am and you don't like that, then I have no recourse. If I show you who I am and some of it is dark and some of it is very messy and you take it and you use it as a weapon against me, that's what causes me to have fear and to push you away. So where do you push past that? How do you find the courage to find the reconciliation? And I go back to it, sounds like preacher speech, but it's in the spirit of God. It is in the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in the heart of every Christ follower. He is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. His spirit has enough power to help you push through things that are very, very difficult. The second letter that we have that Paul wrote to his, 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 his uh, protege in ministry, Timothy, he said, Timothy, remember this. You're going to come up against things that are going to cause you to feel confused. But he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. If you feel fear or if you feel timid, it's not coming from God. It's coming from your situation or it's coming from what you're making up in your mind. God has not given us that spirit of fear and timidity, but he has actually given us the spirit of power to be able to live like he calls us to. And you might want to circle this. Well, I don't even know if it's on your notes. Go ahead and write it down. 2 Timothy 1.7. He's given us the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Love! Not valentine type stuff. Love. Trying to, let's make this relationship better. But Scripture's full of it. Perfect love, mature love, casts out all fear, Scripture says. 
John said, God doesn't just love, God is love. It is the, he is the very character of love. James says, because of who he is, ask him for help and he will gladly give it. I would say you need to pray about this situation. Whatever that situation is in your heart, your mind, whoever you're thinking about, pray about it. But listen to me, don't just go off. Listen, listen, listen. You need to talk to God about them before you talk to them about what you feel like God wants you to do. Here's another one, and it's one I've tried to stress throughout all the years of ministry. You need to talk to them before you talk to anybody else about them. Because the tendency that we all have is, oh, they ticked me off. Who can I get around my little table right here and I can spill all of my puke and all of my friends go, oh, yeah, man, you should this, her. You're like, no. oh, yeah, I can't believe he did that. I'm like, you really, I'm just like, you've got your own little peanut gallery there. <laughs> go you. Yeah, you have every right to be ticked off. Don't go talk to other people about those people. Go talk to those people. Because if you go talk to other people about those people who hurt you before you deal with this, that's gossip. God has a lot of strong things to say about that. Wow, I really landed on that for a long time. Okay, second thing. <clears throat> you need to deal with the timing. You need to deal with the timing. Don't discount this. Don't skip past it. Timing is crucial in these conversations. I have found this to be so, so true. You say, well, I think my timing is, okay, when God convicts them that they are wrong and I am right about this situation and they come groveling back to me, I'll talk to them. No, you go talk to them. You initiate it. God says you take the first step and you do it as soon as you possibly can. In Matthew, Jesus is speaking and teaching. He says, if you're standing at the altar in the temple, okay, temple worship was the focus then. We, Christ followers, together now are the temple. God lives in us. He works through us. But Jesus says, if you're standing before the altar in the temple, you're worshiping and you're giving God, uh, you're giving an offering to God. And then suddenly while you're standing in line before it's, you know, it's going to be your turn. And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you because you ticked them off. You need to leave your offering right there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person and then come back and offer your gift to God. You just lost your place in line if you do what Jesus said. But he said, you ought to do it right now. And because I think you need to laugh at a serious point in these situations. If I'm reading this right, you're standing there worshiping like you're doing right now. Right before you pick up the phone to use the church center app to give your offering. You need to go and get it right and then come back and give your gift. I'm just saying, don't forget to use your church center app to give your gift, okay? Because Jesus said the offering is still important. Okay. I am kidding, but I'm also... Understand the priority, your relationships. That's huge. You got to go as fast as you can. Don't delay, don't postpone, don't ignore it. And if you read that, and we don't have time to go into it all, it doesn't matter if you're the offended person or the offender. It doesn't matter. Jesus says that's not the point. It's always your move because reconciliation takes priority over worship.
Okay, third thing, you need to plan a sit-down, face-to-face, face-the-issues meeting. But you need to do this in a timely manner. Now, here are some, some suggestions, and like, write along the edges or get some extra paper or something. you got to choose the right time for this peace conference. Because timing is everything. You need to have this peace conference when both of, both of you are at your best. Now, Leanne, my bride, is not able to be here today. God bless you, honey. But you know this, and you're saying amen. I know you are. Timing is everything. In our early marriage... We'd stack these things up inside of us about things that weren't going in a conflict. And of course, once we finally got down to the end of the day, we're crawling into bed. And then one of us would like, we need to talk. Oh my gosh. I was thinking I was going to get a good night's sleep. Men, could I get an amen? It's like, do not ever use the words, we need to talk. Don't, ladies, don't use the words, we need to talk. Because us guys, all that means is... I'm in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I'm saying that is not the time to have a peace conference. Mm -mm. You need to do it when both of you are at your best. You may be ready and raring to share, but you've got to ask yourself, are they ready to receive what I need to say to them? So right time. Usually earlier in the mornings, so carve out some time because that's when you're at your freshest. You need to choose the right place where you are uninterrupted. If you've got kids, make sure the kids are not there. Get them out so that they will not interrupt you. Okay? Get them off to grandparents or to friends. Um, you need to both pray before meeting, before the meeting starts. And the deeper the pain, I'm just telling you, the more you're going to have to meet. You go, I don't want to do this. Do you want to continue to live in that misery that conflict brings you? then lean into this, choose the right time, right place, pray before you meet, and come with an expectant attitude. Pray uh, and, and expect that God's going to do something amazing. And He will. He will. Why should we do this? Well, number one, our leader, Jesus, said we ought to. <laughs> and if He's leading and we're following, then we ought to do what our leader says. Jesus said we ought to do it. And like I said, your, worth, your, your worship is worthless until you do. This is important, y'all. You can use this. So before we go any further, and like I said, that was the first one, and it's, it's the, the, the most lengthy on, the, on, on content. I just want to pray with you and pray for you right now. I want you to, uh, if you bow your head, close your eyes. Just think of who you need to reconcile with. And as I pray over you, I ask God to give you the courage to take this first step. Heavenly Father, would you do an amazing work? Because practical lessons like this from your scripture, from your word, it's awesome. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. That person that that each one of us might be thinking of right now, that individual, matters to you. It's someone for whom you sent Jesus to die on a cross. And no, we don't see eye to eye on that subject. We've gotten crossways. But Lord, that doesn't mean we can't find fellowship again. So please, Holy Spirit of God, would you give us not only the courage to do this, give us the strength to follow through, but also, Lord, please teach us your wisdom. Wisdom to apply in patience, with expectation, that you are going to reconcile this relationship, and that way, God, 
it will be back to one that brings life and brings joy into our lives. That's what we want, Lord. Show us how to do it and then give us the courage to do so. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, right quick. Once you have made that first step, the next thing is you're moving into a time of peace conference. You're going to confer together and ask God's help to bring peace to this relationship. Second thing, you know, because you took the initiative, but the second thing you're going to do, first thing in this meeting is, I need to confess my part of the conflict. You say, my part? And you start getting, see, I can give you the microphone, you go, it's not my fault. They said this, they did this, and it's not like this. Okay, got it. I don't care if it's like, 99 and a half percent their fault and a half a percent yours of how you responded the first time, you still own that half a percent. And don't do it in order to prove what a, you know, I'm so humble. I'm dealing with my half a percent of, but your 99 and a half percent really needs to be, it's not your job to be the preacher. And you don't need to wave the flag. I'm being very, very humble here, very sacrificial. What I'm saying is, the tendency is, since you want this to happen, don't go in accusing them of more stuff. Don't go through the whole thing again. Don't go on the attack. Instead of blaming, begin with humility. Real humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. See, you got to admit this. Everybody's got blind spots. Is anybody listening? Yeah. Is that, is that true? I mean, a lot of us have bald spots. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I got an amen over here. But we all have blind spots. Acknowledge that. As you start this peace conference, like, I might not be seeing this as clearly as I should. And whenever I responded to you or reacted to you, this is what I did. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7. And understand, he's trying to, this is is from that great sermon that he gave on the mountainside. He said, we all want things to be better, but we have a tendency to want to get up on our holy high horse and make sure that everybody else is getting straightened out. He said, I got a story for you like that. He says, why do you notice that little piece of dust, that little... A little hair in your eye going like that. Why do you notice that little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't seem to notice that big piece of wood, that two-by-four that you got in your own eye, and every time you look at them, you knock them upside the head? He says, why do you notice that little piece of dust in their eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? He said, here's, here's what you should do. First, make it a priority to take that two-by-four out of your own eye, and then you will be, actually be able to see clearly enough to take the dust out of your friend's eye. You deal with you first. You need to have self-examination, and some of the words, some of the, the questions you can ask is, am I being un- too unrealistic in this situation? Do I have expectations that just cannot be met? Have I actually expressed my expectation in this relationship? Am I being insensitive to what they're feeling, but I'm super sensitive to me? Or am am I being ungrateful? Am I being too demanding? 
it's a distinct possibility. Someone in this crowd that's either listening in the online campus or right now, you are considering divorce. And the thing is on those kinds of things is the number one excuse, not the number one reason. The number one excuse in all the filed papers for divorce is we're just incompatible. There's a French word for that. Baloney. I know for a fact, even though it doesn't feel like it, any two people can learn to love each other if they both grow up. It's the facts, Jack. You say, why do you say that? Because love's a choice. A lot of people treat love as though it's like, well, I just don't feel any love, and I fell in love and fell out of love. It's like you fall a lot, don't you? Like you go to a bar looking for somebody to fall in love with. It's like I'm looking for an open manhole that I can just be walking down the street. Woo! I fell in love. <laughs> well, I fell out of love. What? Were you on the top bunk and you fell out and busted your head like I used to when I was a kid? No. What we're dealing with is you and I in any relationship, but particularly with husbands and wives, our nature is to be self-centered and stubborn. A marriage is two self-centered, immature people trying to carve out a life together. And as soon as they actually admit that they are selfish, they want what they want, and they want it right now, and they're immature, and they need to grow up some, and that's always true no matter how long you've been together. Our nature is to be that way, self-centered and stubborn, and that means we're unwilling to change. But if you make the willingness to change and you ask God to give you direction and hope, it'll work. It will work if both of you, now one of you cannot solve the whole thing, but if both of you humble yourselves before God, I'm just telling you, technically, since we're stubborn and we're self-centered, technically you are incompatible with everybody in the whole world. So the, te- the, the, the issue isn't incompatibility, it's immaturity. And I will say that more relationships die from inflexibility than anything else. That's why the scripture says, before honor is humility. Confess your part. You be the logjam breaker. And use these phrases. Use, use these words. I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. Good place to start. Number three. Once that gets started and you take the lead to say, I, I'm sorry. I want this to be better. And I'm sorry. I was thinking only of myself. Go to the third. And that is listen for their hurt. Listen for the hurt. We use it so much through Celebrate Recovery as well as I try to use it in here. And that is hurt people hurt people. It's a fact. I don't want it to become old news, but it is true. If someone has hurt you and you carry around that hurt, in all likelihood your words or your actions are going to hurt someone else. If you know that this person that you're having this disagreement with, this conflict with, and they are coming at you and they're hurting you, I know it's hard to remember this because it's like, ah, you're hurting me. If you can train yourself immaturity to go, something is hurting them. I want to know what that hurt is. Then things are going to get better. Someone has hurt them. That's why they're hurting you. And that applies to marriages. It applies to the marketplace. It applies to war in the Middle East. It's just the facts. When you and I or anybody you lock eyes with feels fearful or robbed of their dignity, they get mad. Now, if you want to connect with people, and everybody, look up here. She's fine. She's doing great. She loves to praise God and worship. 
If you want to connect with people, you have to start with their needs, not yours. You're like, but I got a long list of things we need to get straightened out here. And I intend, with the Spirit of God in me, I'm going to straighten them out like a piece of wire. No. You start from their hurt, not yours. The brother of Jesus, James, we talked about this at length in another series. Be quick to... Say it again. I'll be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. I'm just telling you what I am telling you today and especially what I just told you. This verse and these steps will save you hundreds upon hundreds of dollars in counseling fees. Okay? If you're trying to diffuse the conflict, try to understand where they're coming from. What are their circumstances? What does it look like from standing in their shoes? What is their background? What, what have they been conditioned to believe, think, or feel? Consider their temperament. Because their temperament likely is not like yours, especially with husbands and wives. God has this amazing ability to put two very different people together. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Love you, babe. <laughs> opposites attract. Then opposites get married and then they attack. That's how that works. A <laughs> couple of things you need to keep in mind, and this is, this is on the screen but not on, on your notes, but I really would encourage you to write it down. Romans 15, 2. This is from the Living Bible. Paraphrase. Paul said, we must be considerate of these two things, the doubts and the fears of other people. Be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. Let's please the other fellow, not ourselves, and do what is for his good and thus build him up in the Lord. Boy, you talk about countercultural, that's it right there, bro. Okay? Four, this falls on the same heels, but consider their perspective on the conflict. Because, you know, they probably have really strong feelings about the same conflict, but they're looking at it from their side of the table. Don't just look at the situation from your own viewpoint. Intentionally do whatever it takes to switch your focus from your needs to their needs. You go, this is so, so, so... Do you want to continue to live with that happiness-draining conflict in your life? No. Then you need to do the hard work in relationships, and you will be rewarded for it. You will be rewarded for it. And you say, well, how do I get their perspective if I'm on this side of the table and they're on this side? How do I get their perspective? Ask. What is your perspective on this situation? What is your take on this conflict? And then zip it. Two ears, one mouth. Listen. Take notes. Paul said this to his friends in Philippi. He said, each of you should look. Might want to circle that word. Look. Not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
You do have to take care of yourself. Self-management is a God-given responsibility. But each of you should look not only for your own interests, but the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus. How do you start the habit of considering someone else's perspective? You look. The Greek word he used is skopos. It's the same word that a lot of you guys are trying to scope out. Where is that elk? Because I am going to get him. I am going to get him. You scope it out. Some of you like the minutia of all kinds of things. A microscope. It's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same thing. You look with intentionality. You pay attention. In fact, you and I are so Christ-like whenever we actually pay attention to other people. Teenagers, I'm speaking to you right now to give you a little peace. You walk into a room of other teenagers and you are worried about what they are thinking about you. And you're in a room of teenagers who are just like you, who are thinking, I wonder what these teenagers are thinking about me. So you have an entire room of people who are thinking, I wonder what these people are thinking about me, and they're not thinking about anybody else at all. You can live at peace. It's okay to be you. Psalm 139.3 says, You notice everything I do, God, and everywhere I go. If you want to be noticed, realize that you are noticed by God and nothing ever escapes his, his, his view. Nothing. He knows you. He made you. He wants you. Man, I'm preaching now. That was good. I think there should have been an amen in there somewhere. Woo! I'll say it. Amen. But I'm telling you, you need to consider their perspective and get into the habit of doing what Jesus did and he paid attention to our need more than his own need. Number five... This is where it gets a little hairy. And you're going to have to take another deep breath and calm yourself down. Because you do want the truth to come out. Not your truth, not their truth, because that doesn't exist. You want the truth. But you've got to tell the truth tactfully. You've heard me say it before. You may be right, but if you are rude, you are wrong. Tell the truth tactfully. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I've just been in these with, with, in, in, in conflict with other people, with, with Leanne, through the years. I, I was so in the right with truth. I'm, let's just do it. Come on. Mm. But you know, I've known lots of religious people like myself who have tried to use the truth like a baseball bat. Come on. I'll tell you what the truth is. It's like, that is not a peace conference, y'all. You are never to use the truth as a baseball bat or a club. That's why the scripture says over and over again, speak the truth in love. Wanting the best for that person. Proverbs 12 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that the truth? Because whenever, and you and I both know this, foolish words hurt. We want them to hurt other people and they wind up coming back on us. But wise words heal, but it's a choice. Are you going to be a fool or are you going to be a wise guy? You will never get your point across by being cross. You are never persuasive when you're abrasive. Truth without love is always resisted, but truth with love is received. And I will tell you this as well. People will change faster and easier when truth is consistently wrapped in love. Paul said to his friends in Ephesus, he says, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. That's just straight up instruction. You don't even have to know Greek to understand that. Do not use words that harm other people. 
use only the words that help them, the kind that build them up and provide what is needed. I'm telling you this because Leanna and I have had a few knockdown dragouts ourselves. And there are things we have spoken we wish we could take back, but you cannot get your words back again. And a lot of you are arguing in ways that you are using words that are abusive, harmful, they're intended to cut down, put down, demean. And I say to you, in the name of God, stop it. Stop it. You want to tell the truth because the truth will set you and the person you're arguing with free. Come on, y'all. Number six. What you're trying to do is fix the problem. You're not trying to fix the blame. I've said it way too many times, but when you blame, you are doing exactly the way the word is spelled. You are being lame. Don't do it. Attack the problem. Attack the problem instead of each other. This is where I was going with that. Establish some ground rules. Learn to fight fair. Fighting is not a bad thing as long as it's for the right reasons. Make some ground rules. There are some things you should never say in your marriage. Because I'm just leaning into marriage because it's such an important relationship. Don't threaten divorce in an argument. Don't use it as a threat. See it like God sees it. And that is you made a promise that has no expiration date. And you guys need to find fellowship. There's two fellows in the same ship. You're going to have to make the voyage together. You've got to make it through. Don't threaten divorce. Don't say, if you don't start seeing things my way, I'm about to get up right now, I'm going to walk out. Mm-mm, don't do that. Like I said, don't use foul language. Oh, here's another one. And don't bring up somebody else's parents. <laughs> See, nervous laughter all across. Like God says those are very specific, very out of bounds. Colossians 3, he said, You must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Gang, angry, rage, that means don't try to intimidate people with your anger and your threats. Malice, that's saying things that wound and maim and hurt and destroy. And slander is whenever you insult and belittle other people. Whenever you belittle other people, what you're actually exposing is how tiny your heart really is. Paul said this. He said blaming is a form of judging. He said let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Y'all getting anything out of this? Okay. Okay, number seven. You need to focus on reconciliation, not resolution. In the strictest sense, the way these words are meant to be understood. Because there's a big difference between reconciliation and resolution. Reconciliation is you're trying to reestablish good communication, good fellowship. You're trying to reestablish the relationship. Resolution is you've got a list and you're trying to resolve every single issue. And I'm here to tell you, that will never happen. God created us all different. You will not see eye to eye with whoever you're in conflict with on every single thing. There are some things you will never agree on. But you can disagree without being disagreeable. When you do that, that's what God calls wisdom. 
You can have unity in relationships of any kind without uniformity. That's wisdom. I'm just telling you, Leanne and I have tried this. We've worked it out. We now walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on every single thing in our life. You can have reconciliation without resolution of every issue, but you've got to focus on the relationship. Once you focus on the relationship and honoring God with whatever that relationship is, then the differences actually start to become insignificant. You can see that. You can look at it in Scripture. Uh, Acts 15, Paul and Peter both loved Jesus, but they saw ministry in totally different ways. And the church grew because of it. It is a fact. So my challenge to you, my challenge to you is in a world that is filled with conflict and it is everywhere. Everybody wants to argue about everything. In a world that is filled with conflict, disagreement, wars, prejudices. In a world that is literally clashing with violence and terrorism, tribalism, gangs, partisanship, all that. What if you and I as individual men and women and young people, what if we said, God, I want to be an agent of reconciliation? I'm not going to go around just saying, peace, love, peace, love, peace, love. But I'm going to, because you built a bridge from your heart to mine, God, through the person of Jesus Christ, I am going to live my life in such a way that I stand for truth, but I'm going to take these, these stones that have been thrown about here in our world, and I'm not going to build a wall with them, I'm going to build a bridge. You're going to be going upstream in a downstream world because most everybody right now is building walls. But I say Jesus called us to be bridge builders. Amen. Our forgiver and leader came to us and reconciled us to God. And he said, now I want you to be agents of reconciliation. I want you to be peacemakers like I am and I will be with you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, blessed, happy. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace lovers, the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And I'm here to tell you from having lived it, it is always more rewarding to actually resolve a relationship than to dissolve a relationship. It's not easier by any means. The easiest things, wash your hands and go, well, I tried, walk off, give up. But there's no joy, no rewards, no character development, any of that. But I have learned that the joy and the character and the rewards come when you work hard. When you work hard trying to resolve the conflict in relationships. And the final thing I want you to hear, and I hope you're hearing me on the online campus and in this room, I have learned you are going to have a very, very difficult time making peace with other people if you have not personally made peace with God. And yet Jesus is standing there. He says, I have done everything that is necessary that if you will allow me to be the God of your life, I will bring peace with God. I'll give you the peace of God that takes up residence in your life, and I will actually give you strength, power, and wisdom to be able to have peace with other people. Sounds preachery, but I'm just telling you, it's the truth. Paul told Timothy, he says, there's only one God and only one mediator who can reconcile God and people, and his name is Jesus Christ. So this is what I'm telling y'all. I think that if you haven't done it, it is time for the reconciliation between you and God, and you need to say yes to Jesus today. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do what we did here today. I think these things have shown their wisdom through the years. Thank you for that. May my ability or lack thereof be something you just knock out of the way and you help this land in people's minds and hearts where it needs to land so that we will then be able to know what we're supposed to do with it. And when we do that, God, I pray that we will all have this kind of prayer. God, you know the conflict in my life. You know who I'm thinking about. I have this conflict with others. I have this conflict with myself. And some of my friends are even saying, God, I have conflict with you and I'm sick and tired of this. And for my friends who have never, ever said yes to you, I pray that their prayer will be something like, I really want to make peace with you, God. With you first. But for the majority of us in this worship experience, Lord, what we need is your wisdom. We need your courage. We need your strength. Because we need to go and have some peace conferences. So would you show me, Lord, through what you've taught us this morning. I want to do these things and I want to cultivate good and healthy relationships around me, Lord. So that my life, my family's life, our church is better. So we can be saltier salt and brighter light. Do an amazing thing, Lord in our lives today because of what happened here. And I praise your name. Amen.